the podcast from Belmont Chapel in Exeter, sharing the story, living the life. For more information, go to belmontchapel.org.uk. My name's Alex. Um, I'm a member of the uh, church family here, um, and it's my privilege to take us through uh, the next talk in our series on Romans. Um, it, uh, it was great to spend time with many of you last weekend at Newquay. Uh, we were really blessed, weren't we, by Andrew Ollerton and his uh, teaching to us. Um, someone there said to me, oh, it's been really great teaching. Um, I kind of feel sorry for the person speaking next week. <laughs> Genuinely, it was very helpful. And um, thanks to all those involved in organising it. Um, the talks from the weekend are on the Belmont website, and I recommend them to you. I think because Andrew had much more time than he does in his videos, uh, and, and he was there in person, it was really impactful. And I know a number of people found it very challenging and encouraging. Uh, we pretty much spent the whole week, uh, sorry, the whole weekend in uh, Romans 5, uh, halfway up the mountain in Andrew's picture, representing Paul's letter. Uh, today we have a much shorter time to look at the next section in Romans as we continue to be helped by the course material from the Bible Society. Uh, we'll uh, consider the narrow path of freedom in Romans 6 and 7 before we reach the summit. Uh, in Romans 8 next week. Um, before we read uh, from Romans, let's just remind ourselves of the journey we've been on so far. In, in chapters 1 to 5, Paul has outlined the gospel of grace. We, we saw the awful situation we were in in Romans 1 to 3, as sinners who had fallen short of God's glory. We then read those wonderful words in uh, Romans 3, 21. But now... Uh, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. We learn about our salvation um, through the free gift of justification by faith. Uh, and we've got to reflect on what that won for us in Romans 5 verse 1. Uh, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So having laid all that out, Paul then moves on to address a common objection uh, to the gospel of grace in Romans 6. Uh, if you've got a Bible, please open it. Um, there are some physical ones over there, or if you can find Romans 6 on your phone. Um, but before we read that, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we're going into battle in these verses, so I just pray for your protection now as we read them and as you speak to us through them. I pray that you would really challenge us in, in what we read, and I pray that this would just be part of our ongoing sanctification, our ongoing uh, uh, being made more and more into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you'd speak to us through these words now, for his name's sake. Amen. Okay, let's read Romans 6, verses 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus 
were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has a mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. Please keep that passage open in front of you if you can. Uh, Did you notice the objection Paul is addressing. Paul has spent the first five chapters explaining how sinful we are and how amazing God's grace is. We are saved by grace through faith alone. It's a free gift, uh, grace, not something we can earn by law keeping. Rather, the law reveals our sin. As it says in Romans 5, verse 20, the law was brought in so that the trespass might increase But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So as you start to get your head around Paul's radical teaching about grace, the logical question is, chapter 6, verse 1, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Uh, Taking out any sinister motive which may or may not be behind this, this is a great logical question to ask as you start to grasp grace. If part of grace is God's act to forgive sin, then wouldn't that grace shine all the brighter if we keep on sinning? It seems like Paul is opening the door to rampant sinning. And if you stop reading Romans after chapter 5, it's possible to distort the gospel message this way. I'm made right with God, justified, not because of anything I did, but by Jesus dying for my sins, past, present, and future, on the cross. We see in Romans 5, it's Christ's obedience, not our own, that brings us peace with God, as Christ's righteousness is credited to us. I can't contribute anything to my salvation. So shall we go on sinning, so that grace may increase? Paul says, verse 2, by no means. Paul says, absolutely not. But notice, Paul doesn't backtrack on what he said in chapters 1 to 5. He doesn't say, oh, you've misunderstood this this radical grace I've been talking about. Salvation is actually 95% grace and 5% law-keeping. You need a tiny bit of good behaviour to get right with God. No. Justification really is 
by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of Christ's righteousness alone. That's how we get right with God, Paul says. That is the foundation of Christian life, and it's what sets Christianity apart from any other religion. So if Paul doesn't backtrack on what he said, why shouldn't we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Well, in chapter 6, Paul uh, goes on to tell us why. He actually gives us the theory and the practice. Uh, We'll look at both this morning. Why we should fight sin and how we can do that practically. Uh, The theory starts in verse 2. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? What's the answer? We can't. If we have died to sin... We can't live in it any longer. Dead people don't live in sin. They're dead. And you can almost imagine Paul expecting um, some confused looks uh, from his readers. So, so he elaborates and basically spends all of Romans 6 explaining that truth. We died to sin. And he starts in verse 3. Don't you know that's what your baptism represented? Um, Last week, Andrew talked about our our union with Christ and what it means to be in Christ. He used the uh, image of a cut-out paper person, and he he placed the person in a book. And the, the person represented him, and the book represented Christ, showing how he is in Christ. And... Uh, That which is true of Jesus is in some way true for those in Jesus. So when Jesus died on the cross, in some mysterious but crucial sense, we who believe died with him. And when Jesus rose to life, we were in one sense made alive with him. So if we are in Christ... Our true identity is dead to sin and alive to God. That's represented in baptism. Like a piece of cloth baptised in blue dye takes on the characteristics of the dye. Us going down into the water represents us dying with Christ and in some way sharing in his death. And rising out of the water represents us rising with him and being united to his resurrection life. If you're thinking about baptism uh, and want to know more about it, come along to the session at 12 o'clock today. Let's just track all this through in our passage. Uh, Verse 4. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his... We will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We can't live in sin any longer. We died. That's one reason why we should fight sin. We died to sin. The second reason Paul gives us is sin was just killing us anyway. One question that society seems to keep coming back to at the moment is who is the goat? 
Anyone know what I mean by that? Who is the GOAT? It stands for the greatest of all time. And there's always a lot of debate about who is the greatest of all time for things like football. Um, one name that often comes up for the GOAT is George Best. Uh, sadly, as well as, as his football, George Best was known for his alcoholism. Uh, he seriously damaged his liver, uh, and there was controversy when he received a liver transplant on the NHS in 2002. There was more controversy after the transplant when he was seen openly drinking in 2003. Later, he received a drink-driving offence in 2004. He continued to drink and died in 2005. Five days before his death, um, the News of the World published uh, this picture of Best at his own request, showing him in his hospital bed with jaundice, along with a warning about the dangers of alcohol, with his message, don't die like me. I'm not saying alcohol is sinful, but rather sin is lethal. Don't go back and keep on sinning. That sin was killing you. It was poison. You needed a transplant. Don't go back and keep on sinning. It was just killing you. It wasn't doing you any good. Let's be honest, it may well have given some fleeting pleasure, but inside it was killing you. You may think you were master over it, but you weren't. Sin was master over you. Paul says in Romans 6, 21 to 23, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now you, that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, you may be uncomfortable with Paul using the phrase slaves of God, but, but he says in verse 19, he's using a limited example from everyday, everyday life, that of slaves and masters. One of the reasons it's imperfect is because unlike slaves, we're free. We're not forced to do things we don't want to. Andrew Ollerton uh, describes this part of Romans as the narrow path of freedom uh, with dangers on each side, like, like walking along a high wall with drops either side. On one side is what he calls moral liberalism, sinning as much as we want. On the other side is what he calls religious legalism, basically thinking Christianity is a list of do's and don'ts. If you want to be a Christian, you've got to keep the rules. That's religious legalism, which again is dangerous. Just like I said, if, if you stop reading Romans after chapter 5, the message can be distorted into moral liberalism. We see that in Jude verse 4. It says some people perverted the grace of God into a license for immorality. Similarly, if you start reading Romans at chapter 6, it can be distorted into religious legalism. There's a reason Paul doesn't start here. He spent five chapters on salvation by grace before he gets to the importance of fighting sin. He doesn't want people to slip into old habits of thinking law-keeping in any way contributes to them getting right with God. Paul uses another illustration in Romans 7, uh, 1 to 4, that of marriage. Uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, 
that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Do you see the picture? It is marriage to law-keeping as our means of righteousness. But we die to the law, so we're free to marry another means of righteousness, namely Jesus, with the purpose that we might bear fruit for God. The narrow path of freedom isn't sinning as much as we want and isn't legalistically trying to keep all the rules to gain acceptance. It's about bearing fruit because we're already accepted. We belong to Jesus and are loved and secure. That's the theory. Uh, We'll now briefly look at the practice. Uh, Being dead to sin and raised to new life doesn't mean sinning is impossible We might fall into uh, negative cycles of sin still, uh, but it does mean we're released from sin's power. It's not our master anymore. What tips then does Paul give us to avoid uh, these negative cycles of sin and fight sin in in a healthy way? Before we look at this, I just want to remind us again, this is Romans 6, not Romans 1. It is really important, if you're just starting to look at Christianity... This isn't where you start. This message is for Christians who have been justified. Fighting sin, what we call the process of sanctification, being made holy, happens after justification by faith. It's really important we get the order right. Uh, You don't need to fight sin to be justified. Rather, fighting sin is evidence that you have been justified. Trying to fight sin before you're justified will just make you feel guilty. The message today is not, you need to stop sinning to be a Christian. It is not, now you're a Christian, you better stop sinning. Rather, now you're a Christian, you're released from the power of sin, you can choose freedom from sin. Uh, Do you remember Johnny's story about his daughter worried about sports day? He said to her, if you win the race, I won't love you anymore. If you come last, I won't love you any less. Giving her freedom. Same with our Heavenly Father and our fight with sin. If we win a battle against sin, God doesn't love us more. If we give in to temptation and lose a battle against sin, God doesn't love us any less. Let's remember that as we consider Paul's uh, practical steps to fight sin. Firstly, verse 11. In the same way, uh, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Uh, Ever the eighth was, uh, had a brief reign as king in uh, 1936 before his abdication. He had been Prince of Wales since 1911, the first in line to the throne. In a film about him, recalling his boyhood as Prince of Wales, he said, My father, King George V, when I had done something wrong, he would admonish me, saying, My dear boy, you must always remember who you are. 
when we are tempted to sin, our heavenly father and king says to us, my dear child, you must always remember who you are. He says that not as a disciplinarian, but as a father who loves us unconditionally, even if we mess up, and as the one who has given us freedom from sin. My dear child, you must always remember who you are. Paul's practical message to us in Romans 6 to help us fight sin is remember who you are. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourself, or rather reckon yourself, uh, or consider yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is something we need to do with our minds. It's a willful consideration to count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. We need to bring our minds in line with that reality and say, I am who God says I am. I am united to his son by faith. When he died, I died. When he rose, I rose. My debt has been paid. I'm free from slavery to sin. We need to think that way and seize that reality. As we remember who we are inwardly, our truest identity so gradually we will outwardly become who we are as we fight sin and grow in holiness. Uh, think of it like this. Uh, I'm married, but it's not impossible for me to live like a single man. But if I'm tempted to do that, I can feel my wedding ring, the symbol of my marriage. I remember who I am. Don't choke up. Come on. Sorry. Um, I remember who I am. I'm not single. I'm not single. I'm Ruth's husband. And if we're tempted to sin, we can remember our baptism, the symbol of our union with Christ. And remember, we died to sin. How can we possibly live in it any longer? We can't live in what we died to. Paul then gets even more practical in verses 12 to 14. Therefore, uh, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Sorry, I moved that on too long, too early. So, in these verses we see the battleground in the life of every believer. There, there is a reign, a kingly throne, that is being contested. And the kingdom is a believer's physical body. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. In our body there are desires. Uh, these aren't necessarily bad, but they can be corrupted. And, and if sin captures them... Um, they can, they can change. Natural desires like desires for food or rest or sex can be captured by sin and become gluttony or laziness or lust. These desires can deceive us, so we obey them and end up surrendering parts of our body to sin as instruments or rather weapons of wickedness. It could be our eyes, our ears, our tongue, our hands, our sexual organs. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you, that you obey its evil desires. Don't offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. Instead, we should offer our body parts to the true king as instruments of righteousness. 
Sin is not our master. We're not under law and its guilt and condemnation. We're under grace, dependent on the work of Christ for our salvation. We can rise up and fight against sin's reign because we're free from it. Paul's practical advice to fight sin isn't just stop sinning. It's offer those parts of your body to something else, to God, as instruments of righteousness. For example, uh, it's difficult to lust when you're reading the Bible. You can't gossip whilst singing God's praises. You can't be lazy when you're cleaning the church or reorganizing the chairs. You can't be drunk whilst you're giving someone a lift to church. You can't be greedy with your money when you're putting that money in the offering box. You can't be a glutton while serving others with refreshments or donating to the food bank. Does that, does that make sense? Fighting sin isn't just sitting around trying not to sin. It's doing something else. Offering your body to God as an instrument of righteousness. Uh, I'm going to draw to a close now. And Carol's going to lead us in a time of prayer in a moment. But... Um, if there are people here today who feel they're trapped in negative cycles of sin, they'll, they'll, uh, we'll include a chance to pray for freedom from that. Grace doesn't stop at justification. It continues into sanctification as we're helped by the spirit to grow in holiness, uh, as God puts other Christians in our lives to keep us accountable. I appreciate there may be people here with, with real medical addictions which are incredibly difficult to break free from. Uh, there may be people for whom... There's a particular sin they've been struggling with and it feels like they aren't making progress. Please don't doubt your justification. You haven't surrendered the fight completely. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. Read the rest of Romans 7. Fighting sin, even with God's help, is not easy. There is a war going on within you. It says in verse uh, 24 of chapter 7, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's spend a moment in quiet.